0: Thanks for that reading, Demasha, and God bless you all for making the trek in the snow. I noticed online we have more people watching from home uh, than normal, so welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us on YouTube. Open up your Bibles to that passage, Luke chapter one, and as you're turning there, let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit, your promised Spirit that is at work and present, any place where the name of Jesus is being glorified and lifted up. Your spirit that leads us into all truth, shows us who we truly are as sinners in need of a Savior, and shows us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Your spirit that assures those of us who are in Christ that we belong to you, and that we can now call out to you as Abba and Father. We pray that your spirit would indeed do all of those things and more now recalibrate our hearts around the truth of your coming in Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Trust you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Before we do uh, jump into that, I just wanted to say a very special welcome to Ken and Joan. Love you guys. Um, For those of you who have just recently joined our church family, Ken and Joan were our associate pastor for a couple of years, some 12 years ago, and um, two of my very favorite human beings on the planet. I personally, in this church, owe you a debt of gratitude that we can never even say, much less pay. Ken and Joan, we love you guys. I could preach a whole sermon just on Ken and Joan. (laughs) All right, back to Jesus. So, Luke chapter 1. We're in the Advent season. Now is the third week of Advent. Uh, Next week we're going to have lessons and carol service. So that's actually a really good one to invite your friends, family, and neighbors next Sunday at 10.15. Uh, We've been moving through the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. And we've noticed that there are three major visitations that mark this first chapter before the birth of Jesus. The first one that we saw... Three weeks ago, was that Gabriel visited, remember, Zechariah and Mary. Last week, we saw that Mary visited Elizabeth, and this week, we're going to see the third visitation. It's captured in Zechariah's first words. It's the beginning of what we call the Benedictus, Benedictus simply meaning blessed, it's a Latin for that. Look at those first words of Zechariah when his tongue is loosed and his lips pour forth this blessing. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Do you see it in front of you? For he has visited and redeemed his people. This morning we're going to back our way into this passage. We're going to first look at the Lord God of Israel has visited, and then secondly, that he has, in fact, redeemed his people. So let's look first at the fact that the Lord God has visited. This um, fact that at Advent we celebrate the coming, the visitation of the Lord God amongst his people. It's important for at least two reasons to us this morning. The first one I want to suggest to you is that the visitation and the coming of the Lord God of Israel, that first Christmas, is important to Christian men and women because it serves as something of a guiding light. It's a north star, if you will, that orients and directs your actions in your life as a Christian. I think it's increasingly important for us as Christian men and women to have a fixed point of bearing in this ever-changing and complex world. Now, in fairness, the claim that God has visited is not an exclusively Christian claim. There are other world religions that would claim that their gods have visited, but if you read the stories closely, their gods visit with an entirely different agenda, one that is self-serving, one that is capricious. That's how other worldviews look at the visitation of God. But central to our Christian faith is this deep belief that God has visited, that he has come to us, that he didn't just come to us as an apparition or as a vision or as like an aurora borealis in the sky, but he came to us in human flesh. Our first point is that this serves as a guiding light or a north star or a fixed bearing around which we orient our lives. Okay, that's our first point. Here's how that works. As Christians, we know that God took human flesh and visited some 2,000 years ago. And so this shapes our entire worldview. Here's what I mean by that. See, as Christian men and women, we believe that truth comes to us in a way that is revealed from God, not ultimately surmised or rationalized or deduced. Now, now here's, what, here's what I mean. To be sure, there are some things in life that can be figured out through observation, whether you're using the scientific method that you learned and I don't know, grade eight or whatever, right? You make a hypothesis, you draw up an experiment, you observe, and then you draw conclusions. That's that's one way to figure out some things in the natural world. Or maybe use the Socratic method of asking a bunch of questions to be sure there are some things that you can understand based on observations and predictable, repeatable outcomes. So you come to know certain things are the way that they are. But then every year we come back to Advent, and we come back to Christmas, and we're reminded that the deepest things, the things that matter most in the universe, are truths that are not ideas, but rather truth that is a person, Jesus Christ. And so when Christians read this Benedictus, when Christians read these words from Zechariah and it says, the Lord God of Israel has visited. It is actually a stark truth claim. Look, this is what um, the other John in his gospel began his gospel with. The prologue to John's gospel. It says that the word became flesh. This claim that All of the truth of God was loaded into this baby who came 2,000 years ago. The very word of God made flesh, truth incarnate, logos, the very logic of God, how he makes himself mediated and known, his logos, his word, his logic, comes to us and visits us John said that in the prologue of his gospel, the word became flesh, and he said, and the word not only became flesh, but he dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. Now, friends, really, really lay into this for a moment. Press into it. It's vitally important for Christian men and women today. It shapes and forms our worldview See, if truth is something that you and I surmise or only can just figure out using our five senses or our learned experience, if that's the limitation of our understanding of truth, then truth will always be a moving target. It will be subject to your experience or to mine. It will be subject to your tribe or your group or my tribe and group. You could never tell me what truth is because it's a completely subjective experience. But Christians hold to this worldview and this epistemology. We believe that God visited in human flesh. Truth was revealed to us. And that truth is the person of Jesus Christ. That's how this becomes a north star or a fixed bearing for the Christian man or woman in today's world of shifting sands. Consider how odd you will be at the next cocktail party you go to over the Christmas season if you make these kinds of claims. If as a Christian you claim that truth exists, that truth is knowable, that truth is exclusive because truth is a person, Jesus Christ that will mark you out as completely different than people around you. The Lord God of Israel has visited. See, this baby that would be born in the manger in Bethlehem would go on to live a sinless, spotless life, and he would make a radical claim, one that you've probably heard many times before, it's captured in John 14. This baby in the manger who grows to be a man stands in front of his friends and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we think about God coming to us in human flesh in many different forms at this time of year, but the first one I want us to consider this morning is that God, the Lord God of Israel, visits his people, and so truth comes to us in bodily form that is knowable and revealed. And so Zechariah sings out this great truth. He says that his son is not going to be that guy. Look at verse 76. He's talking about his son, and he says, And you, child, this first one that's going to be born, you're going to be a prophet of the Most High. You're going to go before the Lord and prepare his way. This baby that will be born to Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, is not that one, but he will point to that one and prepare the way for that one. God visiting his people. The truth is coming. This One whose very life and existence is the centerpiece of all of human history. As Christian men and women, we believe that God has visited his people, that he's visited us in truth, and that therefore Jesus Christ, this one who is God visiting, becomes the interpretive key that unlocks everything the truth. Let me say it a different way. Jesus Christ, for the Christian man or woman, is God visiting. He is truth. Therefore, he is the precondition for all other knowledge. To to say it even more starkly, you cannot know truth apart from Jesus Christ, God visiting his people. He unlocks it all. Well, friends, that's the point of advent and of christmas it's the point of christian faith and of life you know we live in a world where one of the major battlegrounds for everything is this battle for truth and for information does anyone else find it as hard as i do to sift through information these days right it's like so much information and then there's misinformation and there's disinformation and everyone's pointing fingers at each other and you know, I just I don't have the skill to figure that out, and so I turn to my North Star. I return to this great truth. That the truth is not a story on my social media newsfeed, but the truth is a person. Now I I find that advent fact, both empowering and satisfying. It's empowering because if I hand over truth claims to a secular world where information is misinformation, disinformation, who knows how you can figure it out? Well, that's paralyzing. That just hamstrings me because I can't know anything. But if I return to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, all of a sudden I'm empowered to live for him, come what may. See, it's empowering. It's also an advent truth that's satisfying because when I play it out in my mind and I imagine myself on my deathbed, you know, at the ripe old age of 142, um, I imagine looking back on my life and thinking, how did I live my life? What shaped my decisions? What truths did I live from? And if I imagine living them from some sort of subjective truth that's amorphous and controlled in whatever ways, I think I would only be despaired, respondent. But if I imagine that day and looking back over my life and thinking, I lived my life from the truth of Jesus Christ. God visiting his people. God revealing himself in a person. My life was shaped and formed by that truth. Well, that's not only empowering, that's also very satisfying. I think I could close my eyes in peace. And so, Christian man or woman, you start with this truth. What the Lord God has visited. Okay, that's Advent. That's Christmas. Truth has come to us. And so you return back to that bedrock truth in every circumstance and in every situation. Here's what I mean by that. I want you to imagine that you are in the middle of conflict with someone, okay? Maybe a coworker. Maybe a family member as Christmas relationships seem to intensify. (laughs) Maybe your spouse, you know, you're in conflict with them. And you're both trying to make truth claims about what happened and why you're the person who was offended and wronged and why the other person's wrong. That's usually how conflict works. What if instead, Christian man or woman, you returned back to the truth of Jesus Christ? Start there. That's your guiding light. God has visited his people. Truth has been revealed to you. And so now you're in that same conflict, but you see yourself differently. Because you can stand there with that other person, not from a place of insecurity where you have to defend yourself and lash out at them to try to justify your point. You can stand there before them as loved as you could ever be because God loves you in Jesus Christ. changes the way you interact with that conflict. You also look at them, and instead of seeing them as an enemy and someone who is trying to twist the facts and manipulate things, you look at them, and from the truth of Jesus Christ, you know that they are one whom God so loved that he gave his only begotten Son. See, this is how truth matters. This is why it matters that in Advent, at Christmas, we remember... The Lord God has visited his people. He's revealed truth to us in Jesus. And that shapes our lives as Christians. Well, that's the first thing I want you to see in that truth the Lord God has visited. That it becomes like a guiding light, this principle, right? The second thing that I want you to see, well, let let me tell you a story. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to get into the Christmas mood, right? You try to get the Christmas feels and get Christmassy and Monty's decorated the house and I've started in the morning when I'm showering and getting ready, I, I play a Christmas playlist in the background. And I noticed um, the other day, I was listening to the Christmas playlist and I discovered, you know, the vast majority of Christmas songs are very melancholy and sad. Have you noticed that? Like songs that we sing at Christmas time, I'm, I'm sitting there and thinking, man, why am I starting to feel so gloomy and down? And then I listen to the words of the song, and it's like, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dream. Like, you're like oh my goodness, this is horrible. And so then I did what I normally do. I started to get peeved by it and angry by it. And I started, That's you know, that's my sin and I have to repent of that. That's where I go. Then I was reflecting on it and I thought, maybe actually the world has latched onto something here that is a truism. That Christmas, for many people, can be a very difficult time of year. It's that moment in the year that gathers and collects everything that's happened over the past 365 days and brings it to bear on a fixed point in the calendar. It's one of those seasons where we are confronted with the stark reality of our lives, right? Everything is magnified and amplified and turned up. That's why if you find yourself lonely in other seasons, you feel particularly lonely at Christmas time. You have to come face to face with it. If you have contentious relationships within your family, those are just dialed up, right, during the crazy season. And so maybe this morning you would just take stock and ask, what has the last year held for you? Where are some of the joys, right? Start there but maybe also be honest with what are some of the disappointments. I know some in our church family have experienced tremendous loss over the last year. You feel that keenly in the first Christmas. Hear these words on the lips of Zechariah. The Lord God of Israel. Has visited. And so Advent becomes this perennial invitation to not just sweep your feelings under the rug, but to go there, right? To allow yourself to feel the accrued reality of the last year. At Christmas time, these feelings come to the surface, they become stark, and, and you have a couple of decisions to make some people decide to avoid the hurt feelings. And you can spot those people because in many different ways, they appear to be superficial folk. They refuse to engage the full range of their human feelings. And so they kind of become, when you're talking to them, they're like a cardboard cutout of a person. There's just no depth there. Or another way you can tell if, if people are not engaging their feelings. Um, the feelings are still there. And so if you encounter someone who always feels like they're right on the verge of tears. Because they have feelings that they haven't dealt with. You know, the kind of people that are so loaded with unresolved emotion that they, they, their life looks like if you dropped it, it would shatter and not bounce. Just fragile. He's been avoiding feelings. I mean, the flip side of that coin is some people get so hung up in their feelings of loss and their feelings of sadness that they define their entire life by a moment of loss and they can never move on. They're just caught in despair. Well, Advent and Christmas presents a better way. It tells Christian men and women that you can engage honestly and safely with the losses of the last year. You can feel the pain and the disappointments. But don't waste them. Allow those losses, those hurts, those feelings of disappointments to shape within you a longing For the coming Savior. That's Advent. See, this was true and more for Zechariah. He sang these words. He said, the Lord God has visited his people. And it was at a dark moment of despair for Israel. And there's something of that in Advent. This longing for the coming of a king who will set things aright. This promise that God came and he will come again. So that's the better way, right? To Be honest with the feelings that come to you this time of year, but allow them to be shaped by this truth that the Lord God has visited his people. Look, what if our response to difficulty was in fact that? What if our response to the hardships in our life was to say, yes, they're all true, but Christ came, and he will come again? Not to pretend that the pain doesn't exist, but also not to allow it to consume you and bring you to despair. Instead, this Advent annual reminder that we let the suffering and the pain and the loss of the last year Press us into the God who has visited his people. Perhaps you've heard of the 20th century theologian named, he's a pastor too, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? It's one of my favorite quotes. He said this. He said, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. Who know themselves to be poor and imperfect. Who look forward to something greater to come. For these it is enough to wait in humble fear until the Holy One Himself comes down to us. God in the child in the manger. God comes. The Lord Jesus comes. Christmas comes. Christians rejoice. Zechariah sings out these words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. And Christian friend, you want to hear those words for yourself today. You find yourself with a troubled soul. Is it possible that that troubled soul can actually be a gift from God? God because it will press you into the Savior who was visited 2,000 years ago and will come again. It will create within you this longing for that day. The Lord God of Israel has visited his people. Not only has the Lord God visited his people, but look at verse 68. He has visited and what? Redeemed his people. He's not only visited, but he's taken action to redeem them. And this is another, you know, starting point for our understanding of Advent. It's indeed the backdrop for all of Christmas. Christians look out over the world and read the newspaper and see what's happening, and we know that the world is worn out and weary. That there is a cloak of darkness that's falling more and more each day. As Christian men and women, we know that the ills of this world can never be adequately addressed at the level of the problems themselves. Okay? So when we look out over the world, we see all of these problems. And they seem to be getting worse by the day. But they only seem to be compounded by the fact that we collectively as a society try to address the problems at the level of the problem instead of getting to the deeper issue. Well, it would be like if a pipe were to burst in your basement in your house and you spent all of your energy mopping up with a bucket and a pail and never actually patching or fixing the pipe. That's how we tend to address the problems of our world. Because Christians know that the problems that we see are the presenting issues. The deeper problem is one that's upstream from the problem. And that's the problem of human sin. When we look out at the world, we like to point out that all the problems are so clearly visible to us out there, when in reality, the entire problem with the world is not out there, it's in here. And so God's people are today, just as they were in Zechariah's time, enslaved by the oppressive powers of sin and death. And no external system can fix the problem. No efforts of our own can remedy this ill. We have a bent towards not trusting God and taking him at his word. Sin. Well, scripture describes that kind of sin as slavery. And so we read in verse 68 that the Lord God of Israel has visited his people. But if the Lord God is visiting people, and those people are people who are engaged actively in sinning against the holy God, well, the coming and the visitation of that God is not good news at all, is it? It's actually something dreadful and terrifying. It's a moment of reckoning if God is just coming to visit. It's kind of like a little child who goes to bed at night, pretty convinced on Christmas Eve that they're on the naughty list. The big guy's coming, and you're going to get what you deserve. Well, that's what it would be like if this This word from Zechariah finished with just the Lord God of Israel has visited. It would be terrifying. It would be dreadful. But Zechariah knows and sings something about this coming Lord God. He says this Lord God visits his people, but he does so with a purpose. He has visited and redeemed his people. And so Zechariah blesses the Lord. He is filled with the Spirit and he sings. It says in verse 67. He knows that his son is not the visiting of God, but that his son was going to go before and prepare the way. He says in verse 77 that his son would be one who would give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins. That his son would bring this message, verse 78, that God is tender and merciful towards sinners. That God has visited his people in mercy, not to destroy rebels like us, but to redeem them and save them from their slavery. This is Advent. That the Lord God has visited and redeemed his people. This is the truth that Zechariah's boy will spend his entire life pointing to. This redeeming Savior. Now you would think that that would be really good news, wouldn't you? Back in Zechariah's time, that John the Baptist would go on to live this ministry of telling people the Lord God has visited and has redeemed his people, you'd think everyone would be like, man, that's awesome, sign me up. But they didn't, did they? It wasn't good news to everyone back then just like it isn't good news to everyone today because of its starting point. People don't like being told that they need redeeming. No one likes to be told that they have to repent and trust in a Savior. But friend, there are only two options before us today. The same two options that were before Zechariah's son's audience. We can take heed of the words of Zechariah's boy and repent. Be truly sorry for our sin and our failure to trust in God. We can lay hold of this redeeming salvation in God that has laid hold of us in Jesus. Or we can remain enslaved to death. God has visited and redeemed his people. The invitation this morning is to know him, to trust him. Verse 78 the the sunrise will visit you from on high. Verse 79. Like a light in the darkness and the shadow of death, verse 79, your feet will be guided in peace. Because Advent and Christmas tells us that God has visited and redeemed his people. That's the Benedictus. But let me just tell you something quickly about the first couple of verses. Verses 56 Verse 57 to 66. This amazing interaction where John the Baptist is born, right? The baby's born to Elizabeth, Zechariah's son. Zechariah has been dumb. He's not able to talk for all nine months. They say, well, what's the boy's name going to be, right? And Elizabeth says his name is John. They're like, that can't be right. Let's ask Zechariah. Zechariah, like, writes down his name is John. And so we see in this passage that names are really important. See, in Luke 1, there are two babies born. And in both cases, the angel Gabriel has visited and told the parents what that baby is to be named. Whenever you see something like that in Scripture, pay attention to it because it really matters. Names are always important, but they're not always cosmically important. But when an angel of the Lord names your baby, it's cosmically important. Okay? Because their names reveal the advent hope in the God who has visited and redeemed. John. His name means Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, is gracious. and the son born to Mary. His name will be Jesus. And that name means Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, saves. Such is our Advent hope. Let's pray. Father, as we... move through these next couple of weeks towards Christmas. I pray that this truth that you, the Lord God of Israel, have visited and redeemed would direct and shape all of our affections and desires and actions and choices and decisions. I pray that it would shape our hope, that all of our hope would be placed on you that it would bring joy even to the longings that we feel during this season. And we pray this in your name. Amen.